Hello and welcome to the Strength to be Human podcast with your host, poet and playwright, Mark Anthony Rossi. In this, our third year, we continue to explore the meaning of being an artist in an ever-changing digital world. Now, without further ado, here is your host. Hi folks, and this is Strength to Be Human. I'm your host, Mark Anthony Rossi, poet and playwright. This is episode 189, Increasing Your Literary Footprint. Now, I've been thinking about this for a while because I, I really think that, in many ways, for us to be the, the best writers we can, or at least to feel like that our, our work is going in the right direction, we have to increase our literary footprint. And what I mean is... That we have to start going outside in many ways of our just basic routine of writing. So there's going to be like four segments of the show. Two of them are internally how we increase our literary footprint. And then two will be externally. Okay, You might recognize a few of these others. You might not. And sometimes you might be doing it just because it kind of gets you out of your routine. Or maybe even gets you out of your own you know, version of uh, creative boredom. And that's what sometimes you just do this naturally. But you'll you'll see from the show on, on how useful it is, actually. Okay? Now, the first on the internal version of all this is to immerse yourself into something that's non-literary. Uh, it could be, a, you know, painting a picture. Uh, you could be doing some graphic designs, like, you know, cover art or, or various images for your writing. Sometimes people send those along. Other times, as an editor myself, I have to do this a lot, and it's helpful to, you know, to make a an artistic approach uh, go about things. But I also find it useful for myself in my own writing. It helps me broaden out my creativity. Uh, you can go to scoping. Got some people to do that. A lot of people do a lot of this video editing or, or even video creation. So, in fact, I, I uh, ran across a, a young lady uh, enterprising in this in this regard, and I think she even she said that without, without realizing the, the show I was putting together. But she had mentioned that too. That kind of takes her out of her element, but still allows her to be creative, and that's good because. That's what I'm saying. It's necessary for you to increase your literary footprint by doing things like this. Uh, a lot of folks will go into music, sometimes music editing, sometimes just playing some music and stuff. Uh, and we've got a number of writers that I know that actually play musical instruments well. Uh, that wouldn't be me. But that's that's their way of going about things. And this is really useful because what happens is this. As you go along the road of writing, you're becoming not just a writer, but you're becoming an independent, creative type person. You see? So creativity is starting to come into you. But it doesn't always work that way towards writing. And it doesn't always, always feel like it can be something you can suddenly write at the moment. But it could be uh, useful ideas, cool, you know, creative notions, but you can't get a handle on them. Maybe you put them in notes, or maybe you just can't do anything. They're loose, they're free. Well, they can actually uh, arrive at these different places if you wind up doing different things other than writing. So it allows you to still stay creative, feel like you're not really betraying a creative urge, 
But understand that maybe it's not always going to work towards writing. But believe it or not, as you continue the engine of creativity in you, it'll come back to writing. So it's really a way for you to stay creative even though you might not be writing. This way, it keeps you sharp. It keeps you more receptive to the things that are out there in, you know, in the world, in the society, you know, in your own universe or in the universe out there in, the, in general. That's really what I like about it because that kind of immersion really helps us. I think it also helps us in a human way too. So it's not just a creative thing, but it's nice to have something different to do, to have a different distraction. I mean, you can't eat the same meal every night without getting bored. It's probably the same thing of, you know, maybe working on something that's just kind of, you know, rubbing your head in the, in, in the sand or hitting your head against the, you know, the wall. Sometimes it's hard to give things up like that way, but it's not good for us. Uh, I guess you could say mentally health-wise, it's not good for us, but it's not good for us creatively either. These other outlets, they allows us, they really allow us to expand. And when we expand, that's how we start increasing our literary footprint. Now, that's one of the first for internally. The next is, and I'm not saying this is any easier, but you're going to find it, it's, it's very rewarding, is trying to explore other type genres in writing. Uh, it's not always natural for people who start with poetry to suddenly go to fiction. I mean, some do. And, and a lot do, but not everybody does. But I still think it's a great, great way to increase your literary footprint by starting to learn something different. Because it forces you out of the box that you've created now with poetry. Let's say you've been doing that for a couple of years. And I'm not suggesting that it has to exactly be fiction. If you want to do, try what we're talking about over here, you could do an essay. You could do something nonfiction. Uh, you can maybe write a small play. Write a, a book review that really takes you out of things because you have to like look at other people's, you know, work and, and and try to interpret it and then and write something about that. But any one of these things would be very helpful for you to take yourself out of that genre you're in and start stretching your arms and legs, so to speak. Start using other creative muscles in your in your psyche there that could be helpful. They might actually allay you, lead you to other places. In your mind, in your heart, in your in your soul, out in the universe, in your dreams. Because you're going to places that you were not with before. One of the things we have to be careful about, and this is the reason why I am espousing this and why I'm promoting all this, this increasing your literary footprint, is it allows us, if for some reason we've gotten ourselves in some sort of rut, to get out of that rut. And you, you and you get out of that rut in a positive way, rather than oh the hell of poetry. I'm gonna do something else for a couple of years. You don't want to get to that point. This is not supposed to be something that's negative. It's not supposed to be some, you know, anger, revenge, uh, retaliation type of thing. Oh, I'm stuck there. I'm gonna go do something else. No, it's just to recognize that that does happen. And maybe the only way to pull yourself out of it is to do something different. So you, I find normally people will migrate to a fiction, whether it's a short story or maybe some sort of a flash fiction or, or micro fiction, because in many instances, like I did with my concrete minimalism, the form I created for flash fiction, 
it, you can still be poetic in it. You can still have wonderful phrases and, and alliteration in there, and you can use metaphor all over the place and still get something across that you wouldn't be able to get to with a poetry because uh, the flash fiction piece, even though it might be short compared to other prose, uh, you know, vehicles, it seems a whole lot bigger and a lot broader than anything you can do in poetry for the most part. Even if even a prose poem doesn't really get you the kind of direction you'd want to go with flash, you really can stretch yourself out, especially emotionally on things. But again, you could do other other writing forms. But I find this is really useful because it puts you in a different mood. It mentally takes you someplace else. It redirects your focus. All of these things are necessary. Sometimes. When people have writer's block, and remember, we talked about this before on some other shows, it's not always an emotional constipation thing, or a rough day at work, or a girlfriend broke up with you, or you know, wife threw a pot of planter at your head, or something like that. It's, it's not always some emotional conflict. It could literally be the writer's block came from you getting stuck in one direction that you thought was the right one, and you just can't write yourself out of it. it there is a such thing as writing yourself into a corner. And it can happen. And how do you write yourself out of that corner? For some people, I know for myself especially, I need to get out of the hole, whatever I was in, whether it was a play or an essay or a nonfiction piece or a poem or whatever I was doing, I need to get out of there for a while and go someplace else. Because by doing that, that allows me to step back. And remember, oftentimes you cannot see the forest for the trees until you do step back, where you see the wider birth of things. Your width is now there for you. You can see more. And when you see more, then you have a better idea of how, how you want to approach it. Or maybe how you could just get out of it. You now can see the solution to do so. And that happened because you wasn't continuing to hit your head against the wall. That doesn't really help. I mean, don't get me wrong. I believe in persistence. And yes, <laughs> it's an important uh, character trait uh, for a writer. Especially in the 21st century. But... There's a big difference between persistence and putting something to a side for a moment so you can redirect it otherwise. You know, they they, they, they like to call it um, strategic withdrawal. <laughs> These corporate terms are pretty funny, actually. But in, in, in essence, it's simply stepping back, okay? It doesn't mean you're quitting. It doesn't mean you're stopping. It doesn't mean you're getting defeated. It doesn't mean you're doing anything that's negative, you're simply trying to approach it in a different angle, in a different fashion, maybe even in a different thought frame. So your goal is still to get out of the corner on that piece. It's just that at the moment, the insurance you have is not going to work. You know, it's it's like being a firefighter and, you know, you don't have an axe to cut down the door with. You know what I mean? So what are you supposed to do now? You got to get something different to break through it? No different than that. It could just be that at that moment, you just don't have the instruments that are necessary to get through that corner, to get that, that, that problem solved. And those instruments can be anything from 
the the emotional uh, accuracy that was necessary or, or maybe the intellectual height that you needed that you didn't have before you know it could just be that your vision has been impaired because you've tried so hard now that in many ways you're sort of like giving up you don't have the instrument of patience or vision any longer which you can get later on by stepping away from it that's why that's so necessary so we're talking about at the moment here the internal methods of increasing your literary footprint first we're talking about Immersing in non-literary, uh, non-literary arts, uh, painting, directing. You can be directing a play, directing a movie, directing a, you know, a video. Uh, or you can be video editing, like some people are doing, doing some music, sculpting, all painting, all kinds of different things. It's not, and you're going to find this uh, an unusual thing to hear, but it's not uncommon for painters. I don't care who they are, Picasso, whatever. You notice that they have incredible things to have to say about art. Even art that has nothing to do with painting. Why? Because oftentimes when they were hitting their head against the wall and something wasn't working right there, they were sitting down writing down some notes. Da Vinci did it. Many, many of these artists did so. They wound up being pretty decent writers themselves. It was a good fallback for them. You know, I, I think uh, what I think I think it might have been Monet that was mentioning that that that's pretty much all that painting was was that you know he was putting words on canvas. So, I mean, he saw the connection between the two. And he understood that. And I think these these artists understood this naturally as they went about their business. That, that this was something that was not necessary to do. But I'm making it more of a defined thing. That, it, yeah, it really is a, a part and parcel of who we are as, as writers. That we need to find something. Now, I don't necessarily mean that... Um, when you're immersing yourself into something, that it's something that's passive. I don't mean you're watching a, you know, another Star Trek show, or you went to a play and everybody's throwing their clothes off or something, or you know, you went to an opera and some lady's screaming at you. That's just passive, and it doesn't really help that much. It might help you in terms of psychologically on the stress level of things, but in terms of something artistic, remember, artistic is something that's active. So I'm talking about you actively painting, you actively video editing, you actively doing some kind of music, uh, actively directing. Some people actually do acting. So that's what I mean by that. You have to actually get your hands in and you have to be doing something to try to solve something because that really lets your, your whole system go in the direction that's necessary for you to now see something in a better light. So you really have to be active. It can't be something passive, all right? You're not going to sit down and watch a comedy for 30 minutes and say, yeah, I think I know how to solve that now. It doesn't work that way. If it did, that would be great, and maybe you're very unique in that regard, but generally, that doesn't work that way. And I try to stick to the things that are, like I said, business. Uh, rules for, for what generally works, not, not for the exceptions, okay? All right, next, we're going to go to the external elements of how to increase your, your literary footprint uh, the first one and this kind of probably finally sound really weird and we'll talk a bit about it okay is living more openly as a social person I, I don't mean to use the whole gay closet metaphor and it just works so I have to use it okay <laughs> but I know a lot of writers hell I was like this early in my like probably the first 10 years of writing I wouldn't even tell people I was writing. Even when I wrote 
uh, I wrote an academic paper when I was uh, starting to put together my own ideas about using writing as a therapy. It was called uh, Poetry as Therapy, uh, Self and World Analysis. It got published, and later on I was able to form a book around it. But when I wrote that paper, I just wrote that paper as a thinker. I didn't really write it as a writer, and even that's how I portrayed myself. I didn't even consider myself a writer. Not because I was shy or didn't think I was a writer, just because... I just didn't want all the baggage that sometimes came along with that. What the hell? You're writing and doing this and that, but what the hell? You know, I'd rather just have the thoughts and, and think about things and have people ask me about the, the, the psychological elements of all, all, all the intricacies of, of therapy in general where, where it concerns the arts. I, I just felt more comfortable conversing in that rather than talking about, you know, just the craft of writing or being a writer, that sort of thing. There are a lot of writers that are out there. They, they live in this sort of artistic closet where they don't really share it with people. I know a few writers that they've been married for decades and they haven't even told the spouse that they write. It's all been a just a hush-hush secret thing. Now, I'm not like that. I came out a long time ago. My wife knows I'm a writer and all that, but I've known some people that are my age that are still doing it that way. And it, it just seems to be a common thing for a little while, but sometimes we take it too far. What I'm trying to explain to you here is when you do take it too far, that closeted feeling, it starts smothering your artistic, I feel, advantages or even your artistic vision on things. Because by not trying to communicate with other people, hey, I'm a writer, whether it's through text or email or phone calls or video chat or, you know, um, just talking to a person about it, you know, in a, in a writing group or something. You're cutting a part of yourself off, some of your humanity. And when you do that and you wrap that up in there, it doesn't really get to the, the creative source that's necessary. Remember, not all creative creativity is being sourced or, or being inspired by the world around you. Sometimes it's from your also your internal life. What kind of internal life do you have if you've hidden something that's very important for you away from other people? It's almost like, uh, wow, I don't like rejection. Well, guess what? You're a writer. Rejection is part of what we're about. It's part of what we have to start learning to get used to. It's something that we have to deal with and tackle, see if we can get anything positive out of it, understanding that sometimes you can't, and you move on. It makes you stronger, and you move on. But how do you do that, and how do you take that kind of rejection, and, and, and then, of course, you don't want to share this with anybody. Again, you're afraid. You're afraid of rejection. In the end, I, I say that you can't be the best writer you want to be. You can't be the best writer that you should be, you know, when you're allowing fear of any sort to, to take a, a real grasp of you, but especially that of, of rejection or what someone else is going to say. Part of what you're doing is you're writing about things about the world. You're saying in many ways that, you know, you, you have some authority on this particular subject or whatever angle you might be uh, putting out there, okay? I, I never could understand the shyness in writers. When I, I remember I was in a group uh, giving a lecture one time about this very subject years ago, and I said, listen, the very act of writing and sending it out there in the world is a confrontational act. 
So how the hell can you be in a closet? How the hell can you be shy? How can you not want to talk about this? How do you want to put this away from people? How do you not want to share this? It makes no sense. You're already trying to confront somebody by sending this out there. You know, it's like throwing a punch, but you, you, you're you definitely afraid of getting hit yourself. Throwing a snowball. No, don't throw a snowball at me. You know, throw somebody in the pool. No, I can't get wet. Makes no sense. You have to be ready for that boomerang effect. You have to be ready to take that to take that punch. These are the things that, believe it or not, help you to see the world the way it should be seen. Because you can't see the world as it is when you're throwing punches, but you never want to take one. That's not reality. That's only a portion of what's going on out there. That's not helpful at all. You're not going to get anywhere with that type of attitude. It's extremely dangerous, in my opinion. Not to mention, it's impractical. Because if you want to be the best writer you want to be, well, you got to try to include all the different elements. That's what makes, uh, especially a, a writing piece of, of literary art, so interesting and fascinating is you'll find a lot of them have layers. And they have layers because the person is open to the world and they're open to the people they've talked to and, and, and intermingled with. And they're open to themselves and part of their own in, internal life. You know, I'm not suggesting that you need to go on some rooftop and, you know, scream, I'm a writer, blah, blah, blah. You know, you don't like my stuff, go to hell, blah, blah. I'm not suggesting that. But what I am suggesting is you might not have to be, be on the roof to do all this, but you can't have to be in the damn basement either. Because the moment you do that, you're isolating yourself. And writing should not be about you being isolated. Because you're only going to learn and do and able to, to put out so much before your work itself gets into a rut. Before uh, you, you don't really grow. How the hell do you grow in the basement? Well, nothing grows in the basement. Okay? Nothing worthwhile, anyway. And growth is necessary for every writer. So that's the reason why I mentioned you have to start getting out there more openly social. And I don't mean social media. I mean real social stuff. Now, you got a lot of writers that might be shy. you got a lot of writers that might not be the, the, the feeling the most comfortable in the social setting. I'm not suggesting you need to go out there just willy-nilly on everything. But you have to be open for social contact. You can go uh, into a writer's group and just learn and listen to what's going on over there and maybe speak your mind now and then. You can go to various artistic lectures. They have, you, you don't even have to be about writing. You could go to a museum and they have talks about various art forms and various artists themselves. Just sit there and listen and learn things. Maybe talk to other people later on. And none of it has to be about writing. But that social interaction is energetic to yourself. Okay? It allows you to get out of that basement out into the world. You can't increase your literary footprint if you're decreasing all the other things around you. And that's why it's so necessary to have some some form of socialization. Now, the last part of this, I know it's going to sound unusual, but marketing your work in every way possible, every way that you can think of that you can get your hands on, is necessary. Okay? And it could start from something as innocent as 
you put a link to your author's website because you know you actually got a w author's website which really is very helpful and if you don't have one that's part of this marketing talk right now go get yourself one built they're not expensive you really need one you could put the address of that author's website at the bottom of your email the email that you use for whenever you send writing stuff out so when everybody reads your email they always get that you'd be surprised on how many people as editors get curious about stuff they read something hey, it's not too bad and then they notice in the bio they mention a couple credits this and that but for some reason they didn't write in their address for their author site but it's at the bottom of the email Cool, that's some place for them to click. Every time you send somebody out there, something that's going on there, they can they can check out that link. I'm not suggesting everybody's going to check out the link. We're talking about human nature here, okay? But you're giving people an opportunity where they didn't have before. You are marketing yourself. You're getting yourself out there. That is increasing your literary footprint. Of course, social media does have a play in all this. It's not like everything, but it, it definitely has a play. Certainly helps to have some kind of Facebook page. Sending out a couple of links here and there about stuff that you're doing, whether it's a book or, you know, you're doing a speaking engagement or you, you got a play out or, you know, when your essays got published, etc., etc. Same thing with Instagram, where you use photographs to help along that line. You know, Twitter, where you just have a small little message and maybe a link. You got text where you can send people all kinds of little artwork that you can make up. Hey, go check out my thing, this and that, blah, blah, blah. Those are all ways to market. More people now are using videos. You don't even have to mess around with YouTube if you want. You can you can put the video on, on, on a Facebook thing, just the same. So it doesn't hurt to do that. They have what they call book trailers now. Some people are getting them made just for a single work. I got a, I don't have, forget about a book trailer. I got a poetry trailer here. I got a poetry book trailer here. I got a, I got an essay, uh, extended one. Uh, I got a little trailer about it. Nothing wrong with any of this. It's great ways to get your work out there. Hell, even the podcasts. In many ways, for me, is a way to get work out there. Sometimes I talk about my, uh, literary journal. No aerial chart. Well, we'll talk about it on the show now and then. Things that come in good, bad, and indifferent. It's a good way to, to remind people that it's out there. There you go. But even the podcast. And mine's audio. It's not, it's not video. It's definitely another way to get your work out there. To get yourself out there. To increase your audience and increase your, your worldview of things. Because in the end... We can't increase our literary footprint if we're not trying everything possible to let people know, hey, I'm out here. Hey, I'm alive. Hey, I wrote this. Hey, I directed this. Hey, I made this podcast. Hey, I did this. I hey, they did that. For some people, they feel, mainly because of old-fashioned notions, I say, you know, this is kind of counterintuitive to who I am. I don't really like to just self-promote myself. Well, in the day and age we live right now, it's a good chance that if you're not promoting yourself, nobody's knowing about you. And you nobody is going to just naturally promote you just for the heck of doing that. You're going to have some people now and then. I know when I publish writers uh, for Aerial Chart, 
I not just publish them and, and I not just have a link for them that they can use for an archive and all of that. I often send a link out that I created for them to a few places just to get them started so people can see their work and all of that. It's uh, not just an artistic courtesy or a, a wonderful personal gesture. It's just another way to get stuff out there for them. And, and maybe in a way for me too because guess what? You know? It helps me in the magazine just as much as it helps you. Because if they like your work in mine magazine, they might come back now and then check out some other things. It happens all the time. People went there for one reason and they wind up checking out other things. That's great. That's what it's there for. That's what sharing it is all about. Because you're not going to get that sort of audience. You're not going to get anything. We went past 400,000 reads in four years. So we're averaging like 100000 a year. I mean, I'm happy with that. I'm proud of that. But it just shows you, though, that you can't take things for granted. Every little item you think of. They have little places where you can put in, um, you know, words about what the work could be. So that the internet can grab onto it. So I make sure that people know this is poetry. You know, oftentimes the writer's name, if they've been with us long enough and, and got enough things published, so they can get more of that out there for themselves. I don't know about the magazine itself. This is zero chart. This is this. This is that. All those things, they add up. They bring people to the magazine that normally wouldn't have been there. So they can check other things out. And if they like what they're reading, what they're seeing, you know, they're going to come back. We have a lot of return visitors, and that's what it's all about. Well, guess what? I want to make this sounding business-like, but the truth of the matter is you have to think along those lines sometimes. Just like I'm thinking about all the things that can be done in my literary journal so I can make sure that people would want to come back. Because I feel every time I put an issue out, I'm trying to do my best I can there because you don't know when they're going to see you. You know, you can't tell somebody if they had a conversation with you. You know, Mark, I, 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 I just... I didn't grasp that September issue, man. It just wasn't with me. But, uh, wow, that July one was really on target. No. A lot of times you're only going to get that, <laughs> that month maybe someone's going to look at something. And if they don't like it, they might never come back. You know, so you got to try to have your best foot forward every time because you don't know when someone's going to come back. The return visitor. It's a key to anybody who operates a business. I don't care if you're selling football cards in a store or you're selling pizza in a restaurant. You want to make sure you've done everything you can to convince that person that they should come back. Because the key to your success of that business is not that you're getting all these new customers all the time. Because guess what? There's only so many new customers you can get. In the end, your business is going to stand or fall on the return customers. It's no different for writing. If you're not putting your best foot forward out there, you're not trying to market your stuff, you're not trying to get your voice out there and letting people know what you're doing to increase your your, your, your literary footprint, well, well, guess what? How are you going to have any return visitors? You won't even have the first visitor. So in, in many ways, as a writer, we got to think about that as well. we got to think about people checking out our stuff, you know? I know some magazines, and, and believe it or not, I'm one of them because the way it's all structured behind the scenes is I know how many times people have read a, a particular piece. You'll notice it'll go on the top 10 because the computer will put that on there. It'll, it'll measure that. Some magazines have something similar. So they know. They know who's pushing their work and who's not. 
And if you think about it, you know, the more you're pushing your work, the more you want to get ahead and you want people to see your work. And it means also you're helping the magazine to get out there too. So if someone wants you to come back one day, hey, can you send me something for this issue? I really like what we did a couple months ago. I mean, if you don't think they're not looking at some of those numbers, I mean, why wouldn't they not? Do you want to ask somebody over that just doesn't seem like they're, they're doing very much to care about getting the work out there? Or do you want to ask somebody that looks like they were hustling and bustling and all that kinds of stuff to get that work out there? Because it's not a coincidence. Like I said, the numbers, they don't lie. I can look them, look them in a straight line. And you can literally see people who push this and others who don't. It's just not hard to tell. It's not an accident that a drove of people went over to this piece. Yeah, people are going to occasionally visit it here and there on a daily basis, but not the number spikes that I see. That means that the people that are pushing it, they're telling their friends and their relatives and their artistic associates and whatever writing group they're in and this, that, and whatever. And that's necessary. Because not does that only get out your literary footprint, but really that, I, I feel, I know for myself anyway, you know, it's a measure of, of not only professionalism, but of self-esteem, you know? I am not only so excited about this piece because it got published, but I'm excited to get it out there because, you know, I want everybody to benefit from it. I want the editor, you know, to see that I'm grateful. I want the world to see that I'm doing something, you know. I'd like to maybe come back to that magazine one day. So it's do whatever I can to get this out there. That's what we need to do. All of these things that I'm talking about, whether they're internal or external, whether they are about immersing yourself in non-literary art forms, to expand your horizon, whether you're exploring other genres, help get you out of a rut and, and, and re reinvigorate your, your creativity. You know, whether it's trying to live more open and more social and not trying to be putting your artistic talents in some closet somewhere because you're afraid about some of these weird things. Hey, you have to learn to get tougher. You have to learn to have thicker skin. You might have to smack a, a, a bum in the head now and then. Hey. What the hell have you written? I don't know. Well, then shut the hell up. Sometimes you got to do that. There's nothing wrong with doing that. I don't even care if you're the you're the slim, polite, squeaky mouse person. Guess what? You might have to take a bite out of crime now and then, okay? <laughs> it's necessary. Okay? That's all bullies respect anyway. And I tell you, when people talk stupid things about your writing or you or writing in general, they're bullies and they need a smack in the head, Okay? And then last, of course, is marketing. And I mean every way that you can. Now, I understand we only have so much time. I understand we only have so much resources. I understand that many of us only have so much talent. I mean, I don't know crap about video. If I don't have somebody helping me with that, I have no idea. I just don't have... I don't have the, the I know I know it's important to, as a tool, but I just don't have the inkling for it. I don't. It's enough for me to to know how to manipulate a website and, and, and deal with podcasting stuff. And I had to learn to do that. And believe me, I'm I'm not getting any younger to try to learn anything else. Sometimes you just have to let other people do it, let them do it better. So some people can help you with the marketing. It's not like you have to learn all this stuff yourself. But there are other things in marketing here that we're talking about. That you can do yourself. That you only can do yourself. That you should only do yourself. I mean, you don't need somebody to put your damn author's link on, on your, the bottom of the email in the signature area. You can instantly do that yourself. Or create a Facebook for you. Page. 
uh, you know, sign up for Twitter. You can do all these things yourself. And you're supposed to be doing all these things yourself. In the very minimum. Now I agree. Maybe we can't do all these all the time. But these are our legitimate elements out there. For marketing. And they really help us to not only. Get our work out there. But in many ways get ourselves out there. Okay. You might have days where you can't go. To the writing group meeting. Because. It's one of those days you don't have a lot of time, but you might have enough time to hit, you know, a, a couple of social uh, media platforms with a couple links and some stuff that you had in mind that you want people to check out. Maybe it's just a small effort that day because of the way that day went, but it's still something. You still can go bed at night saying, "I did something," and something is always better than nothing. So definitely keep that in mind, okay? These are some of the ways we can increase our literary footprint. I'm sure there's probably a hundred more I haven't thought of yet or just haven't put onto the show. But I wanted to give you these as an example of the way for you to think. And that's really what the podcast has always been about, is for people to sort of like take what I'm saying and go run with it. Because it doesn't mean I have all the answers. doesn't mean I covered all the angles. And definitely doesn't mean that I'm always going to reach you on everything I'm saying. But I'm hoping it's enough for you at least to say, yeah, I think that's valid, and I'm, I think I'm need to go explore that some more. And please do that. All right, folks, God bless. This is Mark Anthony Rossi, Strength to be Human. It's episode 189, Increasing Your Literary Footprint. Good night. Thank you for listening. Follow the show and support our efforts by visiting our sponsors at www.strengthtobehuman.com or purchasing an ebook at www.somapublishing.com.